The Orange Yellow Diamond by J. S. Fletcher. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Eight: The Inquest. Until he and Iskov walked into this particular one, Loriston had never been in a coroner's court in his life. He knew very little about what went on in such places. He was aware that the office of coroner is of exceeding antiquity, that when any person meets his or her death under suspicious circumstances, an inquiry into those circumstances is held by a coroner, who has a jury of twelve men to assist him in his duties. But what coroner and jury did, what the procedure of these courts was, he did not know. It surprised him, accordingly, to find himself in a hall which had all the outward appearance of a court of justice, a raised seat, on a sort of dais, for the coroner, a box for the jury, a table for officials and legal gentlemen, a stand for witnesses, an accommodation for the general public. Clearly it was evident that when any one died as poor old Daniel Multenius had died, the law took good care that everybody should know everything about it, and that whatever mystery there was should be thoroughly investigated. The general public, however, had not as yet come to be greatly interested in the death of Daniel Multenius. Up to that moment the affair was known to few people beyond the police, the relations of the dead man, and his immediate neighbors in Praed Street. Consequently, beyond the interested few, there was no great assemblage in the court that morning. A reporter or two, each with his notebook, lounged at the end of the table on the chance of getting some good copy out of whatever might turn up. Some of the police officials, whom Loriston had already seen, stood chatting with the police surgeon and the sharp-eyed legal-looking man, who was attended by a clerk. Outside the open door, a group of men, evidently tradesmen and householders of the district, hung about, looking as if they would be glad to get back to their businesses and occupations. Melky, coming in a few minutes after Loriston had arrived, and sitting down by him, nudged his elbow as he pointed to these individuals. "'There's the fellows what sits on the jury, mister,' whispered Melky. "'Half a crown each they gets for the job, and a nice mess they makes of it sometimes. They've the power to send a man for trial for his life, has them chaps. All depends on their verdict. But, Lord bless you, they takes their tip from the coroner. He's the fellow what you've got to watch.' Then Melky looked around more narrowly, and suddenly espied the legal-looking man who was talking to the police. He dug his elbow into Loriston. Mister, he whispered, you be careful what you say when you get into that there witness box. See that man there a talking to the detectives? Him with the gold nippers on his bloomin' sharp nose? That's Mr. Parmenter. I knows him well enough. He's a lawyer chap. What the police gets when there's a case of this sort? To ask questions of the witnesses, do you see? Watch him, Mr. Loriston, if he starts a questionin' you. He's the sort that can take a tail out of a dead codfish. So help me, he is. He's a terror, he is. The coroner ain't in it with him. He's a good sort, the coroner. But Pommenter, Lord love us, ain't I heard him turn witnesses inside out, not half. And here's the coroner. Loriston almost forgot that he was an important witness, and was tempted to consider himself nothing but a spectator, as he sat and witnessed the formal opening of the court, the swearing in of the twelve jurymen, all looking intensely bored, and the preliminaries which prefaced the actual setting to work of the morning's business. 
but at last after some opening remarks from the coroner who said that the late mr daniel multenius was a well-known and much respected tradesman of the neighbourhood that they were all sorry to hear of his sudden death and that there were circumstances about it which necessitated a careful investigation the business began and loriston who for professional purposes had heard a good many legal cases saw almost at once that the police through the redoubtable mr parmenter now seated with his clerk at the table had carefully arranged the presenting of evidence on a plan and system of their own all of which so it became apparent to him was intended to either incriminate himself or throw considerable suspicion upon him his interest began to assume a personal complexion the story of the circumstances of daniel multenius's death as unfolded in the witness-box into which one person went after another appeared to be the fairly plain one looking at it from one point of view there was a certain fascination in its unfolding it began with melky who was first called to identify the deceased to answer a few general questions about him and to state that when he last saw him a few hours before his death he was in his usual good health as good at any rate as a man of his years seventy-five who was certainly growing feeble could expect to be in nothing much was asked of melky and nothing beyond bare facts volunteered by him the astute mr parmenter left him alone a more important witness was the police surgeon who testified that the deceased had been dead twenty minutes when he was called to him that he had without doubt been violently assaulted having been savagely seized by the throat and by the left arm on both of which significant marks were plainly visible and that the cause of death was shock following immediately on this undoubted violence it was evident said this witness that the old man was feeble and that he suffered from a weak heart such an attack as that which he had described would be sufficient to cause death almost instantly so it is a case of murder muttered melky who had gone back to sit by loriston that's what the police is leading up to be careful mister but there were three witnesses to call before loriston was called upon it was becoming a mystery to him that his evidence was kept back so long he had been the first person to find the old man's dead body and it seemed to his thinking that he ought to have been called at a very early stage of the proceedings he was about to whisper his convictions on this point to melky when a door was opened and zillah was escorted in by Iskoff and led to the witness-box zillah had already assumed the garments of mourning for her grandfather she was obviously distressed at being called to give evidence and the coroner made her task as brief as possible it was at that stage little that he wanted to know and zillah told little she had gone out to do some shopping at half-past four on the previous afternoon she left her grandfather alone he was then quite well he was in the front shop doing nothing in particular she was away about an hour when she returned to find detective sergeant Iskoff, whom she knew and mr loriston whom she also knew in the shop and her grandfather dead in the parlor behind at this stage of her evidence the coroner remarked that he did not wish to ask Zilla any further questions just then but he asked her to remain in court mrs goldmark had followed her and she and Zilla sat down near melky and loriston and loriston half believed that his own turn would now come but Iskoff was next called to give a brief bald matter-of-fact statement of what he knew 
he had gone to see mr moltenius on a business affair he was making inquiries about a stolen article which was believed to have been pledged in the edgware road district he told how loriston ran into him as he entered the shop what loriston said to him what he himself saw and observed what happened afterwards it was a plain and practical account with no indication of surprise bias or theory and nobody asked the detective any questions arising out of it ain't nobody but you to call now mister whispered Malky. mind your p's and q's about them bloomin rings and watch that parmenter but Malky was mistaken the official eye did not turn upon loriston but upon the public benches of the court as if it were seeking some person there there is a witness who has volunteered a statement to the police said the coroner i understand that it is highly important we had better hear him at this point benjamin hollinshaw Melky uttered a curious groan and glanced at loriston fellow what has a shop right opposite he whispered help me what's he got to say about it benjamin hollinshaw came forward he was a rather young rather self-confident self-important sort of person who strode up to the witness-box as if he had been doing things of importance and moment all his life and was taking it quite as a matter of course that he should do another he took the oath and faced the court with something of an air as much as to imply that upon what he was about to say more depended than any one could conceive invited to tell what he knew he told his story obviously enjoying the telling of it he was a tradesman in Pride street a dealer in second-hand clothing to be exact been there many years in succession to his father he remembered yesterday afternoon of course about half-past five o'clock he was standing at the door of his shop it was directly facing daniel moltenius's shop door the darkness had already come on and there was also a bit of fog in the street not much but hazy as it were daniel moltenius's window was lighted but the light was confined to a couple of gas jets there was a light in the projecting sign over the side entrance to the pawn-shop down the passage for the first few minutes while he stood at his door looking across to moltenius's he did not see any one enter or leave that establishment but then he saw a young man come along from the edgware road direction whose conduct rather struck him the young man after sauntering past moltenius's shop paused turned and proceeded to peer in through the top panel of the front door he looked in once or twice in that way then he went to the far end of the window and looked inside in the same prying fashion as if he wanted to find out who was within he went to various parts of the window as if endeavouring to look inside finally he stepped down the side passage and entered the door which led to the compartments into which people turned who took things to pledge he hollinshaw remained at his shop door for some minutes after that in fact until the last witness came along he saw Iskov enter moltenius's front door and immediately pause then the door was shut and he himself went back into his own shop his wife just then calling him to tea you saw the young man you speak of quite clearly asked the coroner as clearly as i see you sir replied the witness do you see him here hollinshaw turned instantly and pointed to loriston that's the young man sir he answered with confidence 
Amidst a general craning of necks, Melky whispered to Loriston. "'You ought to have had a lawyer, mister,' he said. "'Help me. I'm a bloomin' fool for not thinking of it. Be careful. The coroner's looking at you.' As a matter of fact, every person in the court was staring at Loriston, and presently the coroner addressed him. "'Do you wish to ask this witness any questions?' he inquired. Loriston rose to his feet. "'No,' he replied. "'What he says is quite correct. That is, as regards myself.' The coroner hesitated a moment. Then he motioned to Hollinshaw to leave the box, and once more turned to Loriston. "'We will have your evidence now,' he said. "'And let me warn you that there is no obligation on you to say anything.' which would seem to incriminate you. End of chapter 8